Alrighty, I think this is gonna work. Sorry, the sound quality is not up to standard, I would like to say. I'm on my gaming headset and mic. I plan on getting an official setup going here soon with an actual good, nice mic that I can use. A couple quick updates. Uh, I guess I'll just start by introducing myself. My name's John. This is my podcast, The Gillionaire Podcast. What do I want to talk about here? I want to talk about things like science, philosophy, spirituality, research, and ethics. You know, just generally the idea of living as a person in the world and what it means to be a living being. Uh, what is meaning? You know, I'll be diving into all sorts of fun thought experiments like mathematics and the concept of meaning. Like, do mathematics exist outside of humanity? Did we discover it? Or did we create it? Same with meaning. Did we create meaning, or did meaning exist before us? Is meaning something we discover, or is it something we create? You know, that's just an example. I'll talk about that plenty later on uh, another episode. But that's not what I have prepared for you all today. So, just a quick update on my life before I do dive into what I have prepared for you all today. Uh, I got a scholarship recently, um, and I am going to be studying bioinformatics, computational biology, uh, up in... Maine with Northeastern University, so that's going to be fun. They gave me a nice scholarship because they just opened this new tech institute out there, and I applied, and I have good GRE scores, good good GPA, good recommendations, all that, so they offered me very nice scholarship. Pays for the far majority of all of it, more than 50%, so I'm getting, we'll say like I'm getting a 75% discount to get a master's degree. Uh, in a good field, a very good field from a very good university, the field that I've wanted to study in for a long time. Anyway, enough of the, about that. Uh, there was trouble with my lease, however, so it, the, the, uh, the whole stipulation was that I start here in January, uh, and I move out to Maine in January. I talked with the recruiter uh, and told him that that would be pretty difficult for me because I would have to send money, like, $500 back home to pay for my lease, to pay for half of the rent of my apartment uh, while out there, so that my girlfriend who stays here would be able to cover the other half, and that would be difficult, you know, because breaking the lease is $4,000, uh, but if I spend 500 bucks a month back for eight months, that's also 4000 bucks. way easier to manage. Anyway, I don't have to do any of that because he worked it out with me, the recruiter worked it out with me, so that I can take some online courses and work from home, work, uh, study remotely, and then when the lease ends in August, move out there and start at the official in-person classes for the fall. So I'm going to be doing that, and everything's going to be good. So why am I starting a podcast? Well, a big reason why I'm starting a podcast is because I want to talk freely. I want to talk about what I want to talk about without any of TikTok's content moderation. I don't want to be silenced. I don't want to be muted. I don't want to be banned from live for another week for like a fourth time now because I chose to say the word goddamn or talk about my teenage circumcision. Um, I want to just, you know, speak, speak as I am. And part of the reason why this podcast is accessible without being a patron on my Patreon is because I think that, you know, just being able to talk and spread my word out there to people is more important than making money. If you want to be a patron, I have plenty of 
privileges to the people that subscribe to my Patreon. You get to read blog posts, uh, you get to see my art, you get to see my poetry, I talk with you directly, you have access to some of my more private videos that I don't upload to TikTok and that I don't talk about, uh, covering topics that I don't talk about here on my podcast. And also, you get to join my Discord where you can have one-on-one discussions with me or with other people that enjoy this, you know, realm of TikTok's algorithm. So, without further ado, let's get on into the show. Today I'm going to be talking about transgenderism, uh, transgenderism and the future. And I'm also going to start I'm going to start by talking about how you know, I've, I've kind of blown up on TikTok. I got like above, I got like 66,000 followers right now. It's not a whole lot, but it's a lot more than most people. Um, I got there by t- speaking my mind and pissed off a lot of dudes in the process, which is how you know I'm doing something right, because God, do men hate the truth. Let me tell you, they hate the truth and they hate reality, mainly because they're shitty, shit-eating shitbags that need to be exposed for their misogynistic and rapey tendencies, quite frankly. And as soon as you start to expose them, of course, that's whenever the agitation starts, because the agitation's coming from their subconscious mind, that they don't want the truth to get out, because if the truth gets out, then they are exposed for who they are. That's when they start to get violent. It's the same reason why people hated Galileo or Jesus. Now, I'm not calling myself Jesus. I'm not calling myself a Galileo. I'm calling myself a truth teller. And, uh, oh boy, do narcissistic people hate truth-tellers. Mainly narcissistic men. Although I have had some narcissistic women get really shitty at me whenever I start talking about the existence of toxic femininity. But I only talked about the existence of toxic femininity because, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's intellectually consistent to consider that it exists. You know, we've got toxic masculinity. It only makes sense for there to be such a thing as toxic femininity. You know, tox- toxic masculinity is toxicity funneled through the medium of max- masculinity. Therefore, it's consistent to consider the existence of toxic femininity being toxicity funneled through the medium of fem- femininity. Of course, it's not as pop- popular, and I had some women, like I said, toxic women, some narcissistic women in there saying, like, well, what about the men, or whatever, and... That just shows that they don't listen to anything I say because I talk almost entirely about shitty, shit-eating men. Alright, so, pissed off a lot of guys, uh, mainly, some of the most prominent ones I pissed off were logic bros. And I'm not talking about people that actually study logic and mathematics and computer science, I'm talking about bros that think they are extremely logical because they close down their emotions. They make the mistake of believing that logic and emotions are mutually exclusive, that they're two ends of a spectrum, that you can't be logical if you're emotional, and that is not true. Now, it's much less likely for you to be logical if you are angry and hateful, Um, and yes, anger is an emotion, so highly emotional people that are emotional through anger are much less likely to be logical. But that doesn't necessarily negate the presence of logic within emotions. For instance, love. There's a logical explanation for love if you, cons- if you consider a biological standpoint. There's a logical explanation for excitement, fear, confusion, exhaustion. And these are all emotions in some way or another. 
confusion is arguably more cognitive than emotional, but we'll let it stand. Anyhow, I pissed off a lot of these guys because I talked about how trans people exist. And there's one in particular that really, really wanted to show a lot of his toxicity, a lot of his hatred, a lot of just how horribly non-feminine he was. And he said that uh, trans people don't exist. There are people with XX gene, sex chromosomes and XY sex chromosomes, and on the XY sex chromosome is the SRY gene that di dictates a lot of masculinity. And that if you have the SRY gene, then you're a man. If you don't, you're not a man. Uh, okay, I'll give him this. He took intro to bio. Good for him. He told me to stop talking about logic because he does computer science and he, he knows more and I don't know what I'm talking about. Only because he doesn't like the conclusion I came to. He's one of those kinds of guys that if he doesn't like what you have to say and he doesn't agree with it, then you're wrong. Which is a very dangerous because somebody who has the truth to hide away from won't like the truth. So calling somebody who speaks the truth wrong just goes to show how far away from reality he is and how weak he is capable of handling it. So, pissed about trans people, specifically. And I said that it's possible for trans people to exist. And I also said that the people who hate trans people the most probably are in denial of their own gender identity and anytime they see somebody who's trans or agender or gender fluid or non-binary just in general they get hateful because it reminds them that somewhere deep down inside they feel that same way and they don't want to accept it see a lot of that hatred comes in the form of your greatest weakness you ever heard of that concept where you hate in other people the parts of yourself that you relate to most and can't accept like have you ever heard that your greatest enemy is probably the person who's more like you than anybody else because you hate yourself a lot of the times people that we end up hating are people that remind us of the parts of ourselves that we can't accept and we can't accept them so far down that we don't even recognize that we have these traits we subconsciously know we have these traits and we subconsciously resent ourselves, but we have this defense mechanism that keeps us from recognizing it so that we don't have to fall into the pit of shame that is self-awareness. Now, that pit of shame called self-awareness is a necessary deep dive for every person to do in order to reach self-actualization. However, only the strongest, most courageous will do it. And when I say strong, I mean mentally strong. So that's where that came from. That's why they were so mad. Uh, the person who hated me about that the most only proved my point, or only, I guess, played themselves because they hate trans people so much, they're mad at me for talking about trans people, and they're mad at me for talking about how uh, the people that you hate the most are likely the people that you don't want to accept that you are a part of. He's probably trans, probably, probably gender fluid at least. Um, that's where he got most of that hatred. So, I decided, in order to spite him and everybody like him, I'm going to be talking about trans people. Talking mainly about a genetic basis uh, to explain their existence logically, according to the logic that they accept, and then how 
that genetic basis to support their existence does not need to be, uh, I guess, what we have to explain and accept them. And instead, we should accept them for their right to define and express themselves as they see fit as individuals, for the sake of autonomy. So, let's begin. Logic and emotions aren't mutually exclusive. There is genetic support behind transgenderism. It is genetically possible to be transgender because the concept of being transgender is that you have a male brain in a female body or a female brain in a male body. Now, anti-trans people, transphobes, want to say that's impossible. But your genetics determine most of who you are, how you feel, how you express yourself, your sense of friendship, your temperament, your patience, it really, your focus, it, your genetics really do determine a lot of these things. And they also determine your hormone concentrations, which has shown to have a strong association with gender identity. Now, hormone concentrations are not enough. You also need hormone receptors. A hormone can float around in your bloodstream all at once. But until there is a receptor on any numbers of number of tissues for that hormone to bind onto, it will have no effect. A hormone is only as powerful as the receptors that it can bind to. And once bound to those receptors, then you have a bunch of intracellular changes inspired from the, you could say, depolarization of that receptor. That's how I like to call it, binding. Once that receptor is bound, many intracellular changes take place that cause the cell to develop differently than without that hormone bound to the receptor, the corresponding receptor. Why is that important? Because the brain can have a lot of receptors for different hormones in different concentrations, and the concentrations of these receptors is encoded within your genes. It is genetically encoded to determine how many receptors in any different brain tissue areas you will have. And the more receptors you have on a brain tissue, the more of its associated hormone will bind to that tissue and cause the conformational change in the direction, I guess you could say, guided by that hormone specifically androgens. And this is where it gets important because the receptor concentration of different androgens, let's say, just to keep it simple, estrogen and testosterone, those are not encoded on your sex chromosomes. The genes encoding for the prevalence of different androgen receptors in your brain, specifically, are not located on sex chromosomes. Your allosomes, the other 21 chromosomes, are where you will find the genes that dictate how many androgen receptors you find in brain tissue. Why is that important? Well, because that means that it's not sex-linked. It is not sex-linked. So you can have a lot of testosterone receptors in your brain, but have two X chromosomes. You can have a lot of estrogen receptors in your brain, but have an XY chromosome. Now, you can also, sometimes it's just not having a lot of testosterone receptors. You can have a lot of testosterone receptors as somebody with two X chromosomes, or you can have fewer testosterone receptors in your brain, 
with an XY chromosome. Now what does that mean? Allow me to explain. Let's talk about genetic linkage. Genetic linkage is the likelihood that two genes will recombine together from the same parent and be reproduced, or I guess you could say be replicated on the chromosomes of the child. So let's take for instance the 23 chromosomes. During the process of meiosis and mitosis, during the process of mitosis, whenever these chromosomes uncoil and overlap and combine to create new chromosomes, the new chromosome that you get as per the child, that is going to be, let's say you've got the 17th chromosome, right? The two chromosomes from the parents have recombined to make a mixture of them, of their genetic material for the offspring. That new chromosome is going to have Let's say it's, it's shaped like an X, right? It's going to have some parts of some arms that are from the mother, some parts of some arms that are from the father. If the father's chromosomes are blue and the mother's chromosomes are red, then what we see whenever we look at the child chromosome, the 17th chromosome of the child, will be an X that, have, that has got, you know, blocks of blue and blocks of red interspersed around it. That's because of how recombination works. Some parts of the chromosome from one parent are inherited and some parts of the chromos and then you know other parts of that same chromosome from the other parent are inherited and it's a completely random process of where the cutoff is however let's talk about genetic linkage saying that the likelihood of the two of any number of genes from the same chromosome will be relocated together two genes on the same chromosome are more or less linked based on how close they are. The closer they are, the more likely it is that they will make it onto the child's chromosome during that recombination process during mitosis. The further away they are, the less likely it is that they will be recombined, right? So the specific location on a chromosome where the specific location on a chromosome where a gene is located is called that, that gene's genetic locus. Every single gene is at the exact same spot for every person. All the genes, all human genetics, all human genes are located at the exact same spots on the human chromosomes, which is very important for reproduction. It's part of why we're not capable of reproducing with other animals. Like a human and a sheep can't reproduce because we have different genes located at different genetic loci. Also, we have a different number of chromosomes, a different number of genes in general. So it's not possible. The reason why humans are capable of reproducing with other humans is because every single gene on all the chromosomes for that encode for every single detail of your body be it your endothelial cells of the liver, uh, the endothelial cells of your lungs, uh, the amount of melanin in this patch of skin in this region of your right arm, all of it. All of it is a ubiquitous identical map, which is why we're able to reproduce together and you're able to get random occurrences of inheritance, right? why you can have your mother's nose and your father's eyes and your mother's ears and your father's lips. So, <clears throat> that being said, 
the closer two different genetic loci are on a chromosome, the more linked they are, the more likely it is for them to be crossed over and inherited together. The reason I mentioned genetic linkage and genetic loci is because the genes responsible for hormone receptor concentrations on brain tissues are not linked to genes responsible for hormone receptor concentrations on body tissues. They are very, very certainly separate. There are separate genes determining how many receptors or the density of receptor populations in brain tissues to body tissues. They're not linked, meaning it is entirely possible for to inherit a brain that has a lot of receptors, high density of receptors favoring testosterone while also having two X chromosomes because those genes, again, responsible for that, one, are not on sex chromosomes. The genes responsible for hormone receptor concentration on brain tissue are not located on sex chromosomes and they are also not located on the same chromosomes or close to the other genes on that, on that same chromosome responsible for hormone or androgen receptor concentrations on body tissues. You know what I'm saying? So it is perfectly capable to have a body that has a lot of testosterone receptors and a brain that has very few or more estrogen receptors. Meaning that it's very entirely possible for a body to develop in a masculine direction as influenced by masculine androgens, while the brain develops in certainly the opposite gendered direction, a feminine direction, to have a feminine brain as expressed by high receptivity to feminine hormones. <clears throat> Logically speaking, that's just a genetic hereditary possibility. Ah. But that being said, supporting trans people is not supposed to be done with genetics at all. It's not supposed to be biological at all. We need to allow we need to allow trans people to exist in communities in society peacefully without hatred or targeting just on the basis of freedom. Because if you think about it, there's always going to be people who hate trans people. There always will be. That's just a fact. Even if they have all the evidence, we can mitigate the amount of transphobes and trans haters there are that exist but we're not going to get rid of them. And it's very necessary that we gear towards a cultural shift of allowing them to exist because they are not harmful, hateful people that are trying to make your kids turn trans. It's not happening, that's hysteria. That is mass hysteria and just being afraid of social change, really, manifested as hatred and targeting of the trans folk. They need to be allowed to exist on the basis of liberty and freedom. They need to just have the autonomy, be allowed the autonomy to express themselves as they are, to be themselves as they are, without being ostracized or hunted. And in a hundred years, we're going to look back on this time and see all the hatred that trans people and all of the discrimination trans people face, and it's going to be like looking back at Jim, the Jim Crow era a hundred years ago. We're gonna be like, oh my god, I can't believe people were that way. I can't believe they were so hateful and closed-minded. Like, yeah, you can. 
yeah, you can. And if you really say that you can't believe they were that way, then there's probably a part of you that would have partaken in that. That's probably partaking in that right now. That would have partaken in Jim Crow back in the past. Um, people will always hate trans people. Even if there's genetic basis for it, supporting their existence, just validating the fact that they are alive, they will always hate them. And they're likely to use a biological basis or a, a, a genetic marker as like a hunting tool for eugenics, essentially. They would likely use it as reason behind eugenics. And uh, basically they'd be saying like, oh, let's just look through all the genetic codes we can get, find the people with these specific biomarkers that indicate transgenderism, and then go hunt them down. That's why it's, you know, very problematic. And I'm, I'm sure for some of you trans listeners right now, that's very triggering, and I, uh, I apologize for having that effect on you. I can only imagine what it feels like to live in a world where there's constantly a target on your back. Transgenderism doesn't hurt anyone. At all. People that are trans are living their lives, everyday lives, happy, healthy, normal individuals. Maybe they're emotionally scarred, and because of that, they're a little bit more on edge. Maybe they have more of an attitude. Maybe they're more sassy. That just comes with trauma, uh, which they certainly have. But people that think transgenderism harms them, they're only mad that they can't tell trans people how to dress and how to live and how to see themselves and how to feel about themselves. People that hate transgender people, people that think that they're being victimized by the existence of trans people, guarantee you, are at the highest point of privilege in American society, in society. And they feel entitled to the right, to their self-proclaimed right to control other people, to tell other people how to live. And anytime I say this to the people that think that way, they say, oh, so should, what, should I not tell people to kill and rape and steal? And uh, that's just them missing the mark. They're overshooting entirely whenever they say something like that and proving how unaware they are of what transgenderism even really is. Because they're putting being trans in the same class as murdering and raping and stealing, stealing when it's not because transgenderism doesn't bring any harm and the only reason that they think it brings them harm is because it forces them to give up this power they, they, they are addicted to the power to control other people's self-expression in society control the words of other people uh, to keep people quiet Right, the power to keep people quiet. They think they have a right to that power, to keep people quiet. People that disagree with them. And that's extremely harmful because they've gotten addicted to the control over basically defining society and control over the people that they don't want to define society defining society. And they make the mistake of believing that trans people are like these pedophiles, these groomers when they're not that's the next point so they tell a kid 
that these trans people want to groom you. They want to have sex with you when they don't. Um, being afraid that trans people are after your children, <clears throat> that is the next step that I really want to tackle about this because you get these conservative Christians, they're like campers in Call of Duty where they hard lock on one culture point and then have a claim war, I guess you could say at the back entrance, just in case you get them with the back entrance and you're like this. The claim war is basically, uh, the claim where you put, the claim war is put up behind them at their point of hypocrisy that you can point out. And if you get them at that, the claim war is supposed to be their red herring, get out of jail free, quick escape card. So you, so they'll say, they'll be campers, right, and they're hard, fixed, aiming down sights down this hallway that says, basically their act of aiming down the hallway, hard, fixed camping is the way, is their way of saying that kids are, that, that the trans people are grooming children. If you come up behind them and get them at their weak point, the claymore will go off and they'll say, eh, 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 get them at their weak point and you tell you come up behind them and you get them at their weak point where they're not looking and you say, but trans people are not pedophiles that seek to groom your children. They're not like that. Their claymore argument is... Like, what are you going to tell me? I'm sorry. When are you, whenever you come up behind them and you say that they're mistaken, that trans people are not trying to hurt your kids, trans people aren't even trying to hurt anybody, and you don't get to tell people how to live their lives. That's when they're, that's where the claymore will go off, and they'll say, like, oh, so you're telling me that I can't tell people to not murder? Which is a gross misrepresentation of the argument. It's a logical fallacy. Um, I can't remember the exact name of it right now, but it's, like, putting words in somebody's mouth. Scarecrow fallacy. Yeah, that's called the scarecrow fallacy. When you, tell, when you tell someone that they don't get to tell other people how to live their lives, and they say, so I shouldn't tell them to not murder, that's a scarecrow fallacy, because you're not telling somebody to not murder. You're not telling somebody that they don't have the right to tell other people to not murder. You're telling somebody that they don't have the right to tell other people to not, have, to not live their lives in a specific, detailed, tailored way according to their personal value system. Whenever you tell them that their value system is not objective, that their value system is very much cultural and based on their own personal values, is specifically evangelical conservative Christians don't understand that because they've been taught their entire lives that their truth is the ultimate truth. They've been taught their entire lives that they know the ultimate truth and the ultimate will of morality. So when you tell somebody that they're when you tell somebody that thinks like that, that it's not actually true, that they've been lied to, that it's not their objective morality, they automatically have to deny that because accepting it would be accepting that they've been lied to by the very people that told them ultimate truth. And if somebody tells you ultimate truth and then ends up being a liar, then that means that the ultimate truth you've learned was not true at all. Do you understand the moral dilemma they're at? And they're at this, they're at this, they're at the cliff of a, of a groundbreaking existential crisis, holding off against that cliff, and then diverting that fear of holding off against that cliff into transphobia, homophobia, anything. Anything that they can do to clutch further on to their control over the law. 
And this is where you start to see the panic of irrational arguments coming out of them saying that transgender people are trying to groom their kids. They're, they're reaching. They're reaching for anything because they're running out of reasons to back up their hatred for transgenderness. Transgenderism, transness. It used to just be men are men, women are women. Now it's, oh, trans people are trying to groom your kids. They're trying to take marriage away from us. They're trying to ruin Christianity. Like I said, just panicking, reaching for the stars, reaching for anything that they can. Now, kids do tend to like trans people a lot, however, but it's not because kids are trans and it's not because trans people are manipulative and going after kids. It's because a lot of the kids that go after these trans people, I'm sorry, it's because trans people are actually wonderful. The main reason why kids like trans people is because trans people have got wonderful souls, wonderful hearts. They've got wonderful minds. They're very empathetic. They're emotionally open. They're understanding. They're caring. They're forgiving. They listen. These people are great listeners. They're very wholesome individuals. They also certainly understand what it means to struggle. So they can walk a mile in your shoes. They've been there. They've done that. And kids, everybody is attracted to that. But kids especially. Men not so much because men have been told to not let themselves be vulnerable and sensitive and soft. And you have to be vulnerable and sensitive and soft in order to interact with a trans person. Because that's just where their emotional platitudes lie. And I am all for it. I uh, am all for that. Kids love trans people because trans people have had that fostered inner child. They fostered their inner child, healed it, revived it. They've learned how to protect it and they've learned how to talk with it. They've learned how to talk to the soul of the other people, of other people's inner childs, children as well, by speaking to them with their own inner child. So when an adult inner child is awake and alive and comforted and secure, cared for, kindled, they're able to speak to children through it. Adults that have an, a living inner child are able to speak to children as that inner child and then relate to them, making them the only kind of adults that children have any sense of connection to. And trans people consistently, repeatedly have that inner child alive and well. They do. So, when a parent hates trans people for their kids liking them or just thinks that a trans person is going up for their kid, what's going on in their mind is one, transphobia, two, um, fear of losing their child because the trans person is able to connect with them better, and also fear of facing the resentment that they feel for themselves for having mistreated the child. Because a lot of the time, when a child is going to another adult that isn't their parent and trying to find some sort of comfort or care or support, it's because that parent has messed up. Badly. Badly. And that kid is not just choosing this other adult, they're simply choosing an adult that isn't their parent. They're choosing... They're, Whenever that, and whenever that adult happens to be a trans person, it's just the same as if it were to be a non-trans person who also had that sense of respect and empathy cradled within their heart, right? It just happens to be more often, I would say, trans people that have that, or at least a higher concentration of the trans community 
has that alive within them because they've endured a lot more suffering and heartbreak that they needed to learn how to heal that in order to just die, live, not die. What I mean to say, however, is whenever a trans person is close with your child, it's because that child chose that, chose that trans person. Trans people don't just go out of their way to hunt kids like pedophiles. They have this heart that children are attracted to for the nature of its purity. And they respect the child's well-being and they respect the child's autonomy, meaning that that child goes closer to them because you, as the parent, aren't doing it. They are finding that need elsewhere. And a kid has every right to be that way, right? It's not like they're cheating on you. It's not like their partner who's cheating on you. It's not like you're neglecting your partner and so they're getting their needs met from somebody else. This is a child. If you are neglecting your child's needs and they're getting their needs met somewhere else, that child is just being a child. It's selfish, but children are inherently selfish and they get to be and they need to be. It's very important for kids to be self-centered and selfish. I mean, how else are they going to get their needs met? As you grow up, you become less selfish. You become more selfless, which is, I guess you could say, the other side of selfishness, but we don't need to get into that philosophical debacle right now. It's not like trans people are conservative men. They're not pedophiles. It's not like they're watching underage girls dance around on TikTok in their mid-30s with mustard and grease stains on their shirt. They're also not trying to manipulate your kids into transitioning. Trans people are trans because they know they're trans. Kids that come out as trans always were trans and they always knew it. People don't just get tricked into believing they're secretly the opposite gender. A trans, the most influence a trans person would have is in saying, I'm here for you. That's it. Like, is in just being there for the child, for being there for the kid. Trans people don't go out of their way and, and have this secret agenda, internal dialogue saying, I'm going to make every kid trans. No. At most, what they're trying, what trans people want to do, myself included, is dismantle toxic gender norms that are sold to us by capitalism and have perverted traditional gender norms as what developed in human society while we evolved greater intelligence. They're trying to dismantle toxic masculinity. They're trying to dismantle misogyny. And what do you know? It seems like it's, it's trying to... It, what do you know? It seems like they're trying to dismantle America. Hmm, probably because America's built on those things. Um, I will say, I have had people in my life who pretended to be trans for attention. Now, I've met easily like 10 times as many trans people that didn't do this, that just knew they were trans. I have, however, met two or three people that pretended to be transgender for attention. One of them did it because they needed a lot of attention and they had this crush on this girl and when the thing didn't work out and they were humiliated, then they decided to just be like, I'm trans. Uh, part of why they did that was so that people wouldn't make fun of them for creeping on this chick. Another reason why they did that is because they always got ignored by their parents, by their classmates, their teachers. And so by coming out as trans, I gave them the attention that they needed. Another person also 
she wasn't ever trans, but then she went through some traumatic experiences and her parents got focused on finances and a mortgage. Uh, she came out as trans after having done many other dangerous things. She had a personal. She had a history of histrionic, histrionic personality disorder. She dressed very provocatively just at age twelve for attention. So the trans thing as well was just for attention. My girlfriend and I we spent time with her, sat down with her, gave her a couple of weeks where she had like an hour with us, two hours with us, and just let her speak her mind. Basically, we're therapists. Watched movies with her and got her some snacks while her parents figured her shit out, their shit out. And she wasn't trans anymore, like, after that. She didn't have as much of a need for attention. That being said, I got plenty of friends in college that they told me their story. Like, I knew I was just more of a boy than a girl. So I was always a tomboy, so... I had always related to boys more. I had always joked around with boys more. I had always thought about things the way that boys think about things. And I could never relate to girls anywhere near as much. In my mind, I... This is still me reciting his message, Ma female to male, trans person, trans friend of mine. Uh, and when I started taking testosterone, everything just started to make sense. I started to see myself more as I felt uh, when I looked in the mirror. I started to see myself in the mirror the way that I felt whenever I closed my eyes. I was much more capable of doing things with my body that my female frame was not capable of doing you know and male to female trans friends of mine as well that whenever they realized they were trans other same with gender fluid for other people life just opened up for them and it's like it's like a person who has ADHD that had never taken Adderall and then the time they take Adderall for the first time it's just like the world opens up Plenty of people out there that didn't co-op transgenderism for the sake of attention, that had life changed for the better whenever they actually came out and were honest about it with themselves. <clears throat> but let's say, for instance, let's say somebody is delusional about being trans. If you don't want them to be trans, if you don't like it and you know it's delusional, the only way that you can actually help them is by supporting the delusion to some degree. By all, because if, you, if you're always going to be telling them, like, no, you're not, you're lying to yourself, you're running from this, you're just in pain, you're processing trauma, if you just try to tell them all this and invalidate their feelings and their self-identity and their, if it is a delusion, their delusion... They're just going to push you away and double down on it more. It's going to build up only more resistance. Any psychologist, any mental health professional will tell you the best, most strategic way of getting somebody out of a delusion is by playing into it. Say, for instance, your buddy thinks he's an eternal god reincarnated into this human body 170 years ago, and he's been alive for 170 years in a body that houses the consciousness of this ancient Babylonian god. That's horseshit. That's it's, it's insane. That is nuts, obviously. But they are only going to believe it more, and they're only going to be more polarized if you challenge them and you say, no, you're not, bro, fuck that, no, you're not, dude. The only way that they could ever overcome a delusion like that 
is on their own time. And the only way that they're going to get there on their own time is if they're not pushed in the opposite direction. Humans are a lot, humans are a lot like currents. It gets stronger with more resistance. We have more to push back on and we build up more muscle and pushing in that direction. If somebody's pushing you away from the direction you're going, then you resist them by pushing in that direction even further, even harder. So that when they get out of your way, you've got a lot of momentum and strength pushed in that direction. Think of it in terms of the Tao, right? You can't force people to do things, you can only watch. You can probably guide, you can probably show and direct, you can inform all you want, but they've got to figure it out themselves. So if you think this is a real delusion, the only way to help them is to meet them at it and support them, right? We're humans. We're not supposed to be at war all the time. We're social creatures. Part of why we are as powerful as we are in this day and age is because of the fact that we have banded together in teams and communities and made something of ourselves. Part of doing that means that you have to put aside differences and judgments to work as a team, to include one another, and I promise you, trans people are extremely valuable and extremely useful, and if you're wasting your life trying to separate and distinguish yourself away from them and then exterminate them, not only are you taking away from the quality of your own life, not only are you making yourself miserable, and by that same token, subsequently ugly, but you are also ruining the world. You're ruining life, the planet. You're ruining everything. Don't let that hatred consume you. It's not worth your time. But if you're worried about your kids hanging out with trans people, hanging out with becoming trans or anything along these lines, it's important to know that you as a parent, you don't have as much of a say in your child's life as you think you do. A parent's only real responsibilities for their kids are to guide them with wisdom, to teach them things, uh, and to support, to nourish them, to heal them. You are supposed to listen to your kids, you're supposed to heal them, you're supposed to guide them through life with your wisdom and your knowledge, and help give them the moral support that they need to overcome emotional setbacks. You're supposed to fill their bellies, put clothes on their backs, and a roof over their head. These are the things that are necessary. Also, you're supposed to listen to them and pay attention to what their passions are and what their feelings are and understand who they are. Don't try to make them into the type of person that you want them to be. Instead, you need to let them present themselves as they are to you and work with it to develop their most positive, healthy traits and bring out their strengths so that you help them become the strongest, best, healthiest version of themselves that they can be. You are not supposed to tell them about your religious doctrines. You're not supposed to try and teach them about eternal truth. These are things that they discover on their own. What you need to do is teach them how to date, how to be friends, how to resolve conflicts, how to communicate healthily with people, and how to not be over controlling of other people. That's a very important one. You cannot control anybody. You can't even control your own kids. They're going to push back. And if you try really, really hard to be really manipulative, it's only going to get more and more of a pushback. Remember what I said about resistance. 
Study the Tao, T-A-O, Taoism, right? Look into what it means to remove yourself from a system but still be within it. Learn what it means to know your place, what it means to know what life is, how energy flows through systems. This will bring you the greatest, greatest fulfillment. So, to close off, I'm going to talk about the future. Now, I'm going to introduce my talk about the future with another argument against transgenderism, which is war. There are a lot of memes around these days, and people make these arguments in professional settings as well, that a hundred years ago, or eighty years ago, men were storming the beaches of Normandy, teenagers were storming the beaches of Normandy, and now they're drinking Starbucks on their, while watching TikTok. And acting like that's a bad thing? Um, but is it really so bad that 18-year-olds aren't forced to watch their best friend's head get exploded on the beaches of Normandy and have a lifelong struggle with PTSD because of it? I don't think so. I don't think that's so bad. Uh, that's another toxic gender norm that capitalism has perverted. Wartime. Not all men have always had to go to war. That's not, that's not a fact of humanity. It's not a real gender role. There are women that can go to war too, by the way. Um, we are... We're at this kind of pinnacle of humanity right now. We're better off than we've ever been before. Humans are far less violent than we've ever been in the past. Believe that or not, there's much less violence per capita in the present day than there has been in any century in the, in the previous years, any preceding century. And what's really funny is there's actually a trend where violent crime is mitigated every century. There is less and less violent crime, fewer and fewer wars every hundred years, every decade, every... It, it, Crime is slowly deteriorating, very slowly, and we're able to see it right before our eyes. If you don't believe me, read Stephen Pinker's The Angels of Our Better Nature, I believe is what it's called. Angels, Nature, Stephen Pinker. Look that up. It's a great book. We removed ourselves from the food chain, though, and slowly we're removing ourselves from the war chain as well. Like, part of why humans are in this technologically advanced society is because we removed ourselves from the food chain. Let me explain to you what was what how we did that. All right. We evolved the ability to see in the visible light spectrum and hear in the audible hearing spectrum because in because light within the visible light spectrum and sound waves within the audible hearing spectrum came from sources that were immediate threats to our three-dimensional bodies. Lions, snakes, birds of some kind, uh, spiders, right? We needed to evolve our senses to be keen, keenly aware of the immediate threats in nature within the three-dimensional reality that we live in right now. That being said, there are other phenomena in outside there are other phenomena that exist in the universe outside of the audible hearing range and outside of the vis visible light spectrum uv light gamma radiation right 
uh, 30,000 hertz, sounds of 30,000 hertz. We're not able to hear these things at all or see these things at all, but they still exist. And when we mastered the world, the three-dimensional world in the, uh, with the, you know, range of sense, with the ranges of sensation that we're capable of perceiving, we made it so that we could create society and focus on physical phenomena outside of those ranges. We were able to create, we were able to create societies, create technology that can read what's going on at the, that decibel level or see gamma radiation, right? We, we created technology that can sense these things after we removed ourselves from the food chain, but we were still bound to human consciousness, to animal consciousness to our animalistic urges, our instincts, animal instinct consciousness, you could say. And that manifested itself through war. But what's funny is, with the development of nuclear missiles, we have kind of, kind of, removed ourselves from the war chain. Imagine the food chain, and now the war chain. And you might be thinking, no we didn't, John, we're only counting the days to a nuclear fallout. Maybe so. Once that nuclear fallout happens, and there's this great human extinction, the people left will vow to clean up the environment and have this world peace treaty and not have any more nuclear missiles, not have any more wars, and learn how to resolve conflicts without war, because all war is really is just stealing resources from other countries. That's really all it is, just stealing land, stealing resources from other countries. Um, for profit, it's just for profit. Like, literally, that's it. Just stealing oil from Saudi Arabia, from Iran, Afghanistan. Um, with the development of nuclear missiles, we exist almost in this Cold War era. So even if we don't have the nuclear fallout, that'll just be further proof that we've removed ourselves from the war chain, the war cycle. Do you see what I mean by that? Do you see how I'm saying that? Because... We don't have to worry about going to war all the time. Life is, as therein, improved, I think, by not going to war all the time. And we've created this launch pad that allows us to explore new realms of consciousness. In the same way that society was a launch pad that allowed us to explore new realms of perception, you know, outside of the visible light ray, outside of the visible light spectrum and the audible hearing spectrum, uh, so too are we now escaping the next chain the next cycle that keeps us bogged down from freedom and a discovery of truth which is the war chain we are now freeing ourselves from that war cycle and allowing ourselves to explore consciousness and part of exploring consciousness is exploring the concept of gender identity so when people come and say that we are not as manly as we used to be that we're not going to war at 18 years old they act like that's a bad thing when it's actually a good thing they act like they act like it's so bad that we're focusing on non-serious threats. You know, there's this argument saying that once a country gets strong enough and they get wealthy enough, then people's lives are good. Then those people start coming up with new problems to be mad about. I don't think they're coming up with new problems to be mad about, though. I think that's when they're starting to really explore the nature of truth with logic, with ethics. They're starting to explore new concepts of the self and self-identity. 
I think it's a very good thing, and I think that people don't like that because it forces them to change their framework of perception. Their nature of understanding the universe itself is now being shaken at its core because of the fact that we don't have any conflict to distract us from our thoughts. They don't want to pay attention to their thoughts. They want to be distracted from their thoughts, and they're mad that American culture, particularly American culture, is shifting away from ignoring thoughts. It's shifting towards focusing on thoughts and feelings. There's all this resistance of the conservative agenda to close off emotions and close off awareness into ethics so that evil people can get away with doing evil things and we just lay complicit with it. And then those evil people influence other people to, with toxic masculinity to believe that it is a bad thing when it's not. It's a bad thing that we're losing our traditional masculinity when it's not. And believe it or not, those people that think that way are in the minority and they will be silenced. Not because we're going to put an end to it, but just because they won't be loud enough to outroar all the chatter of level-headed folks that are on the forefront of the frontier of consciousness exploration, which comes from, again, removing ourselves from war and not forcing 18-year-olds to watch their best friends get shot in the head on the beaches of Normandy because of a draft. But the result of living in a world where we don't go to war all the time, where we focus on made-up problems and explore consciousness, it is good. It is good for us because it's giving us the opportunity to really focus on our thoughts and really focus on the nature of truth and justice with logic, with actual logic. And it allows us to put emotions in the mix with that logic and see how they are not mutually exclusive and how they can coexist, which in turn will create a bright future for us. Eventually, we will get out of the toxic work culture as well. The next cycle that we need to free ourselves from after we free ourselves from the cycle of war, it was the cycle of, it was the cycle of nature, right? First. First it was the cycle of nature, first it was the food chain, then it's the cycle of war that we're now getting out of. The next one that we're going to get out of is the cycle of labor, the cycle of work. I envision a future for humanity where, one, we are completely ecologically clean, there is no pollution whatsoever, all the earth is clean and we are completely carbon neutral so that we process our own trash and we recycle it fully properly without creating harmful emissions into the ozone layer. I see that. But we will create a world where everyone is a roboticist or a philosopher or a scientist, a computer scientist of some kind, an artist, and nobody does work that we don't want to do. We all spend our entire lives programming robots. Like, robots become the laborers, and all of humans, all sentient life, is able to exist in complete harmony. We remove ourselves from nature, but live in these compact societies where nature is allowed to thrive and flourish. We have a human population size of half a million to a, half a, half a billion to a full billion people. We get there not by killing people, not through war, but instead by contraceptives and abortion to maintain our population size so that we don't become overpopulated. 
and cause suffering so that the people who are alive get to experience life greater. And also I would like to say that they have a greater percentage of the collective unconscious of humanity because it's not spread thin with 8 billion people. God, can you imagine if there were only 1 billion people? The <laughs> infinite free range of human consciousness was only taken up by 1 billion people instead of 8 billion? Jeez. That's entirely metaphysical and unprovable. Anyway, uh, but like I envision a world where we have removed ourselves from the labor cycle and everybody is computer scientists or roboticists that do 30 minutes of work a week to maintain code uh, so that they're robots that they are responsible for are doing everything properly uh, and other and then everyone else is like an artist they cook they do gardening with their time life becomes just about living happily could you imagine that what a great life and a great world that would be where everybody is able to just live for the sake of living and we're not so focused on making a legacy for ourselves the only reason we want to live is the same reason why lions want to live for the sake of having a pride a family for the sake of experiencing how good life can be while we're here i mean hell man emotions are what make life so great we need to focus on creating a world that allows everybody to experience the best emotions constantly you could say that that is a responsibility personally a spiritual responsibility to maintain and i would argue that yes you can you can you can attain the highest state of happiness in your consciousness with proper meditation sure but we need to get these we need to we need to dismantle evil systems that propagate unnecessary suffering if we really want that consciousness to be truly rewarding and profound. Otherwise, it's always going to be monopolized, sold to us on a bright package with a little ribbon. It's never going to be genuine. I hope that this has been enthralling for you. That is everything I wanted to say for this first episode. Uh, went a little bit overboard. I went about seven, eight minutes longer than last first time I recorded this, the first time I recorded this I ended up deleting it, starting over but this is uh, food for thought and I really hope you all consider what I've had to say because I've thought about it a long time and I promise you it's possible and it's logically consistent at, at all levels um, Jainism J-A-I-N-I-S-M that's what I'm trying to focus on right here uh, where we live distinct from nature in our own small little biodomes, where we don't consume any more nature than we give back so that we're carbon neutral. Jainism is kind of like that, ex except extremely uh, focused on that balance. They don't even, like, they wear special masks to make sure they don't breathe in microorganisms, and they eat the minimum they're capable of eating, and it's got to be vegan, everything. Uh... I don't necessarily want to advocate for that, but that is kind of a similar concept to what I'm proposing here. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed. I am going to be posting this, and uh, we're gonna—I'm gonna get myself a nice new, better setup here in the couple coming weeks. Thank you all so much.